Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us to understand your word tonight. Uh, we pray that by your spirit you would empower us to, uh, to know what your word is saying and to believe it and to live in the light of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people seem to think that Bible-believing Christians aren't all that smart, that, that, that we're a bit lacking in the intelligence department. Uh, for example... Author Michael Onfray writes this. Monotheism loathes intelligence. God puts everything to death that stands up to him, beginning with reason, intelligence and the critical mind. Richard Dawkins puts it this way. He says Christianity actively debauches the scientific enterprise. It teaches us not to change our minds and not to want to know exciting things that are available to be known. It subverts science and saps the intellect. New York Times columnist Frank Bruni writes that Christianity elevates unthinking obeisance above intelligent observance. One writer says it this way, the world of religion targets people without education or critical thinking skills while atheism attracts just the opposite. In the year 2013, a review of 63 studies over the past century found that those who do not embrace a religion performed better on intelligence tests than those who do. Apparently, it's been proved. Christians are less intelligent. Although, as one writer graciously says... It's not that Christians can't think rationally, it's simply that they choose not to. <laughs> How does that make you feel? How do you feel when someone says that you're a fool to believe in God? Or that you believe the Bible so that you don't have to think for yourself? Or that you lack intelligence to, to imagine that a carpenter who died 2,000 years ago could possibly give you everlasting life? How do you feel when someone says that faith is blindly believing something to be true contrary to all the evidence? Or, or that you need to check your brain in at the door when you go into a church? Does it make you feel angry? Do, do you want to start waving your HSC score around the place or, or, or pull out your degrees and show them to everyone? It, it doesn't sit well with most of us, does it? We worked hard at school. We've worked hard at uni and we're working hard in our jobs. We are highly educated and we want the people around us to admit it, to acknowledge it. We want to be known as the smart people. We want people to look at us as being wise and intelligent. Well, 2,000 years ago, the Christians in the city of Corinth felt much the same way. They were living in Greece, a country famous for its deep thinkers. It's the country that gave us Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras and Demosthenes. It's the country that revolutionised education and democracy and philosophy. People in Corinth wanted to be seen as clever. Wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, they were highly valued. Their version of the Olympics had 
poetry competitions and music competitions and speaking competitions, not just people running and jumping like ours. No, no, they valued intelligence. Of course, that thinking was true inside the church as well as outside. And it's part of why there were divisions in the Corinthian church. It's part of why people were attaching themselves to various competing groups, uh, some following clever Paul, others following eloquent Apollos. We saw it back in chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. Paul wrote, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Kephas. Still another, I follow Christ. All these divisions. Uh, last week we saw, Paul, uh, we saw Paul start to deal with these divisions. He said, there's only one Jesus who can save you. There's no place for dividing around different personalities, just one saviour. And and he says, your whole mindset, your whole desire to want to be seen as wise and popular and powerful, it's contrary to the nature of the gospel message. The gospel is the message of Christ crucified. From the world's perspective, that is a foolish, weak, unpopular message preached to foolish, weak, unpopular people by a foolish, weak, unpopular preacher. And so Paul's point to the Corinthian Christians is this. If you want to be seen as wise and strong and popular in the eyes of the world, you've joined the wrong religion. If you want to be seen as wise and strong and popular in the eyes of the world, don't follow a crucified Christ. Now, in this next section, Paul discusses more about the wisdom of the gospel. And he starts off by saying that it is, in fact, a wise message, but only for people who are what Paul calls mature, Uh, literally for people who have attained their end or purpose, Uh, those people who, who are where God wants them to be. The good news about Jesus is a wise message for God's people. But the thing is this. It's not the world's wisdom. It's not wisdom that this temporary world or its rulers will recognize. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. Have a look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The message of Christ crucified is not the world's wisdom, and yet Paul says it is magnificent wisdom. It is God's glorious wisdom, planned before time, unknown until it was gloriously revealed, revealed when Jesus came, a wisdom that will bring God's chosen people to eternal glory. Verse 7, no, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that's now revealed in Jesus, and that God destined for our glory before time began. The gospel is profoundly, eternally wise. In it, God is able to be both perfectly holy in his intolerance for sin, and yet at the same time, he's able to love and save his people, all by absorbing his own just judgment in himself, in the person of Christ. It's glorious wisdom. But again, Paul says the world can't recognise it. They didn't even recognise Jesus when when he himself was on earth. Instead, they murdered him, verse 8. 
None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The world can't see the wisdom of the gospel. Only Christians can see it. So why? Why is it that only Christians can see God's wisdom in the message of Christ crucified? Paul goes on to explain. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're better in any way. No, no. It's because God has given us his Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to, to talk about how God's Holy Spirit helps us in two ways. First, he reveals the gospel to us. There's no way that we could work out for ourselves what God would do through Jesus by our intelligence or something like that. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the gospel. And secondly, the Holy Spirit enables us to accept the gospel. Uh, Even when the message about Jesus is revealed, there's no way we ourselves can understand or believe it. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us to accept it. Reveal the gospel, enable us to accept the gospel. Let's have a look at them one by one. Firstly, verse 9, Paul talks about how the Spirit reveals the glorious eternal plan of Jesus. It is something that no one could conceive by their senses. You couldn't smell God's plan. You couldn't see it. You couldn't couldn't hear it yourself. No one could work it out by their intelligence, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Verse 9, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, but... God has revealed it to us by his spirit. No way we could know God's plan except that God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Paul says, he uses a bit of an analogy. He says it's a bit like getting to know a person. If you want to get to know a person, if you want to know their thoughts, their plans, just looking at them is not going to do it. If you want to know a person's thinking, plans... You need them to talk to you. You need them to reveal their thoughts to you. You can't do it by just looking at them because only they can know in themselves what's going on inside them. You can't know it unless they reveal it. I mean, take a look at this person. What can you tell about that person? Perhaps their race? Is anybody, anybody knows? Good, I'm glad. Uh, maybe their race. You can tell their race. Maybe their gender. Although it's not all that easy with that person, is it? It could be a guy or a girl, I think. Um, maybe you can guess their age. Just, you know, if somebody said that was their mum or something, I just wanted to make that sure <laughs> before that. Um, but, but can you tell me what, 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 can you tell me what kind of person this person is? Can you tell me their plans, their hopes, their dreams? Can, can you tell me what they're thinking? Of course you can't. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, you can't read their mind. Thanks, Gareth. And that's what Paul goes on to say. Only a person can know what's going on in their own mind, and in the same way, only the Spirit of God can know what's going on in God's mind. Halfway through verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Only the Holy Spirit can know the mind of God, and so only the Holy Spirit can reveal the mind of God to us. We can't work out God's plan by our intelligence or our senses. We can't intuit what God's doing here on earth. We can only know his plan if he tells us. And the great news is this, he has told us. In the gospel, by his spirit, through his apostles, God has revealed the truth of his plans and purposes and thoughts. So we have the opportunity to understand God's amazing grace. Verse 12. 
We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. There's no way the world can come up with the gospel. We can't read God's mind. It must be revealed by God's spirit. That's the first point. But the second point, more than that, we can't understand and believe the message without God's spirit either. Paul goes on to say, the message about Jesus will seem foolish to you unless the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You will never get it unless God enables you to get it. Verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. It's only with the help of God's Holy Spirit that you can recognize in the message of Christ crucified the wisdom of God and your salvation. It is only with the help of God's Holy Spirit that you can make a right judgment about Jesus. But if you make that judgment, well, then you are forgiven by God and what other people may or may not think of you is irrelevant. Verse 15. The spiritual man, the man with the spirit, makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Paul finishes by quoting from the Old Testament, the world will never get God's wisdom. But if you're relying on Jesus, if you have God's Holy Spirit, then you know the great and eternal plan of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can see into the very mind of God. Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You know, I've seen this time and time again. People cannot get the gospel unless God works in them by his spirit. I was talking to a bloke, had uh, coffee with a bloke just a week or so ago. Um, He has a sister about the same age. Similar, similar in intelligence, similar to look at, uh, quite similar. They, they both went to church all their lives. They both went to the same Sunday school. They heard the same message. Uh, all through his life, this bloke believed it. Can't remember a time when he ever didn't believe it. And he's gone on in the faith and grown in maturity. He's, he's ended up a minister. But all through his sister's life, she didn't believe. Just never seemed to click with her. Even as a little girl, she was just bored, distracted, didn't get it. She's an intelligent girl, she's kind, she's gone on to have a nice family, she gets on very well with her brother, but she's never believed. Why is that? Why can two people from the same family, with similar intelligence and with the same Christian input, end up with one believing and the other not? Why? This passage tells us because the Holy Spirit has graciously chosen to work in one of them to enable that one to believe. You know, we've seen it over and over again in kids' church over this last 16 years. By God's grace, many kids have come out of our kids' church and youth group trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet some of them, they, they, they never got it. It's never clicked for them. I remember back in 2008, I was struggling with my own faith. Uh, But then I read uh, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. I found it utterly compelling. My faith was greatly strengthened. I came away from the book feeling confident that God is real and that Jesus is my saviour. 
and I've since I've given the book to a number of other people who are doubting, and I've got high hopes. This is the book that will change your mind, I say. But time and time again, I've been disappointed. That people read the book, the same book that convinced me, that they say, sorry, doesn't do it for me. Not convinced, I just don't believe it. What's going on? Why do I find it so compelling where they can't see it? It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It comes back to what we see here in this passage. For some people, the Holy Spirit graciously switches on the lights. For other people, he sovereignly doesn't. All right. Can you see what's here in this passage? Paul says, The message of Christ crucified is God's great and glorious wisdom but the world will never, never accept it. The world can't work out the message and the world can't understand or believe the message when it's given to them. The message of Christ crucified is revealed by the Holy Spirit of God and the message of Christ crucified can only be accepted through the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so here's the scene in Corinth. You've got, you've got all these Christians in Corinth. They've joined up with competing groups, all vying to, to, to be the most popular, to be seen as the most wise, the most strong. I follow Paul. We're the brights. No, no, I follow Apollos. Much better person for eloquent people like us. Well, I follow Kephas. Much, 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 uh, much, much more intelligent man. You read what Paul says here. It's just all upside down, isn't it? They want to be recognised as wise in the eyes of the world. But the message of the gospel is not the wisdom of this age. To this world, the message of the gospel will always seem to be foolish. So what's Paul saying to the Corinthians? Paul's message to the Corinthian Christians is this. If you want the world to think how smart you are, you're in the wrong religion. So stop arguing about it. Stop with the pride competition. Just humbly trust Jesus, humbly accept that you're all saved by the same Jesus and get on with each other. Be united. All right. Let's think about applying the passage to ourselves. I mean, even today, this message about Jesus in the eyes of the world, it's foolish. And sometimes we can get glimpses of that, I reckon. One time I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a man who'd just come from China. He spoke beautiful English, but he'd just come from a communist, atheist country. Uh, he had never heard of God or Jesus or the Bible. Uh, but he picked up a tract that I was handing out down in Chatswood, and he was willing to talk. So we got talking, and I told him that there is one God who made the world. He said, great, so where is God? Show him to me. I said, God's in heaven. He said, excellent, where's that? I'd like to go there. I said, you can't, it's another dimension. He said, well, how can I know if this God is real? I said, well, God did become a man to reveal himself. God became a man, he asked. Yes, Jesus, I said, he lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Really? Well, how do you know he was God? Well, Jesus claimed to be God and he did all sorts of miracles. Oh, and so did lots of people believe him? What happened to him? Oh, well, they, they nailed him to a cross for our sins and he died. Hang on. You believe that the one God who made everything died on a cross? Yeah. Well, who was running the universe while he did that? Oh, well, the thing is, God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So it was God the Son who died on the cross. I thought you said there was only one God. 
Uh, yeah, but, but he exists in three persons. Uh, and, one of them and, and one of them died on the cross. Yes, yes, I said, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. Oh, fantastic. So where is he? Oh, well, he went back to heaven. What do you mean? I thought he was alive. Uh, he is, but he just kind of floated up to the right hand of God. <laughs> but I thought you said heaven was a different dimension. How can you float there? Uh, on it went. With me getting more and more flustered and confused. Needless to say, the man wasn't convinced. In fact, by the time I finished trying to explain the Christian message, I think I was convinced myself anymore. I hardly <laughs> believed it myself. I thought, is this honestly what I believe? At Fettingham, it sounds like a total fairy tale, just full of excuses to make it unprovable. Friend, if you believe this message... If you believe that Jesus died and rose again and is your eternal King and Saviour, then let me say two things to you, two things from this passage. First, you don't believe this because you're smarter than anyone else. You're not a Christian because of your intelligence. The only reason you believe is because God, by his Holy Spirit, has graciously enabled you to believe. Now, now I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we should be unintelligent about our faith, I'm not saying we should blindly believe what leaders tell us. I'm not saying we should abandon human reason. I'm not saying that we, that we shouldn't listen carefully to human disciplines like science. But the fact from our passage today is this. It comes down to the Holy Spirit. So, so what that means is this. It means you need to get off your high horse. It, it means you need to humbly thank God don't thank yourself for being so smart. Don't congratulate yourself for being intelligent enough to being a Christian. No, no, no. Thank God for enabling you to believe. And it also means you need to stop trying to prove yourself smarter than everybody else. Prove yourself smarter than other Christians. It's not a competition. Don't fight about who's the cleverest. Don't be proud. Don't be quarrelsome. You don't have to win the arguments. God, by his spirit, enabled you to believe the same as he did with the person sitting next to you. No matter their intelligence or race or gender or looks or anything else, friends, God enables us to believe. And so if we do believe, we need to humbly thank him and we need to humbly seek unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ who by God's grace believe the same thing that we do. That's the first point. The second thing I want to say is this. Don't expect the world to think how smart you are. I know there are smart people who are Christians. I know there are some very clever people sitting here today. And I know there are good and compelling arguments for Christianity. I encourage you to read books like The Reason for God, books that seek to engage our minds with the claims of Christ, books that seek to commend the gospel with intelligent argument. But the reality is this. We're not going to convince the world by argument. People without the Spirit will never see the gospel as anything but foolish. And people without the Spirit will never see you as anything but foolish to believe the gospel. Sure, they will say that they respect your beliefs. They will try hard to be tolerant. But deep down, they will always know in their hearts that you are an idiot. Friend, if you want the world to think you're smart, you're in the wrong religion. So maybe instead of getting all upset about it, 
Maybe instead of worrying so much about what other people think, we should just stop caring. Don't you reckon? Stop stressing if people don't think we're intelligent. They can call us what we want, what they want, who cares? How about instead we, we pray for them? Ask God to work in them by his spirit so they too will see in the foolishness of the cross the saving wisdom of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your wonderful, extraordinarily wise message of Christ crucified. We thank you that through him you are able to be perfectly holy and at the same time love and save your people. Father, we know that this glorious plan demonstrates your mercy and your love and your holiness and your perfection and your goodness and we stand in awe of your extraordinary wisdom. And yet we know that this is wisdom that uh, the world cannot see and so we pray, Heavenly Father, you help us to forsake the desire to be seen as wise and to embrace the foolishness of the cross that we may be truly wise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.